How might leaders in education not let the crisis of this pandemic go to waste? Today on the show, I have the privilege of speaking to Dr. Angela Terpstra, head of the Bishop Strong School. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. When I think of transformative leaders, Dr. Angela Terpstra has been at the top of my list for as long as I've known her. After speaking with her for this interview, I had about 50,000 other questions come into my head and little foot trails that I wanted to follow her around on. But I really tried to focus this conversation specifically on leading through crisis. I think so many of us are grappling with this right now. Whether you hold a formal or informal leadership role in your school, you are going to really benefit from hearing Dr. Terpstra's perspective on how she's been guiding her school through these times. You are without a doubt going to notice a leadership approach that centers on vulnerability, courage, and collaboration. Also, you might be surprised to hear her unconventional take on self-care, so keep listening for that. Dr. Terpstra could most definitely run a leadership masterclass, so let's pull up a chair, grab our notebooks, and get started. So thank you so much for joining me today in this conversation, Dr. Terpstra. Um, why don't we just start for anyone who isn't lucky enough to know you, why don't we just start by you saying who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Um, so I'm Angela Terpstra, and I am lucky enough to be the head of school at the Bishop Strong School. I have been here since 2005. Um, I was I came to BSS as the head of the senior school, so I really got to know and watch the development of that, that space and, and all the many, many things that happened. And when I first came, actually, the senior school was really grade 7 to grade 12. So one of the things that we, we did was actually um, start thinking about what do middle school students really need. And, um, and so that was a whole other thing. But um, that's who, I, so where am I from is a really important question. Um, I think that's a really interesting question. Why? Because a lot of people ask, you know, first of all, who are you? But I think the equivalent must always be asked about where are you from? Because it really helps understand people in context. And so I, where am I from? I'm actually was born in Northern Ireland and I grew up in the UK. And I grew up in uh, Northern Ireland at a time when in many ways, it really did feel like I was still living in the 19th century. I grew up understanding that class was everything. And when you come from the UK, you really do know that. And so my parents were, were working class people and they knew that the accent that I used was, was not one that might help me in the in in the future and so they pay for elocution lessons so that i would learn to speak wow. like the bbc and uh and wow. that was that is was actually quite common um in their understanding of of what it was to come from that place um so it's it's mm. a very interesting thing where do you come from is opens up all kinds of things we could do a whole episode on where you come from. And I think that there's so much wisdom in knowing the fact that where you do come from means a lot. And it gives a lot of, like you said, context to everything that we do and understand and see. Yes. 
Um, I'm going to start with another question that in normal times would seem so light, but right now it has a lot of weight. How are you? I am great. Thank you. I am really great. And I, I do appreciate that. Yes, you're not just as in uh, where you're from. I'm not just an individual walking around, but I'm affected by so much of what's going on. I think that those people who I work with are probably tired of me saying this, but I, it really helps to be an optimist. It <laughs> and it really helps to have studied history <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I really am very aware of many, 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 many moments in history where things have been a lot worse. And I tend to look at what are so many of the positive things coming out of it. So I'm actually feeling I'm good. I'm probably like many of us, um, teachers and frontline workers and everybody who have been trying to solve problems. Sometimes my mind is right, ready to blow right off my head. Um, but it's, it's an interesting time to be problem solving, to be thinking about the future. And I've, I've said this several times to the staff and probably heard me say this too, but, um, and it's, people think it's Winston Churchill who said it, but it's not, but it's, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. And, and there are many things in this particular time that will allow us to make important changes in how we, how we live and have us think through things. And it's not just about education, it's about our environment, it's about social justice, it's about so many, so, so many things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. And so I think that this is something, we can't lose sight of it, we can't forget to grab the opportunity to, to see change happen. That is a great quote. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. And I, when I think about you as a leader, Dr. Sherpstra, I, I think about you leading during times of crisis. Like, and I, we don't need to get into all the specifics, but when you first took the headship of BSS, like it was a time of crisis. And now you're leading the school through another time of crisis. And you're so good at it. And I wanted, because, you know, there's people listening to this podcast that are really curious about how do we lead in these really difficult times? And I was joking with some teacher friends you were on like an all staff meeting and you were kind of explaining how we were changing up how we were going to approach COVID protocols. And uh, I remember hearing you lay out the new plan after we had created a plan and then there was a new plan. Um, and I was like, Dr. Terpster could literally tell me that I'm going to get hit by a bus and I'd be into it. Like there's just something about the way that you lead that makes me feel safe and taken care of and like, things are okay, or things are going to be okay, or if they're not okay, we're all in it together. Like you have such a great way of managing many fires. So I wanted to bring you on today to talk about that. And you might not see your leadership style as exceptional, but I think many people do. And I think that you have a lot to share with the larger educational community. So I wanna jump right in because a couple of people have kind of noted that in schools, there are a lot of different needs. There's a lot of different stakeholders. And this is true normally, not just in a pandemic, but your job, you have many different hats that you have to wear. Um, but one of the many things that you have to do as the head of school is to balance all the various needs from the really important stakeholders in our community. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think that now, 
a lot of those needs sometimes are at odds with each other, like what teachers needs versus what parents needs maybe aren't always the same thing. How do you balance all those needs and make sure that everyone feels taken care of and feels okay with what plan is currently happening? So first of all, I think that the things that have, as I've come into this particular crisis, my stance as a leader has been, and I don't mean this in a namby-pamby way, but as I, I serve, these are the people I serve and I serve different constituencies who all have different expectations. And so the, the, the tricky and the most, um, the most difficult thing is to understand, help everyone understand that those constituencies exist and they have different needs. And the other thing that I have really felt strongly about in each one of them is to be transparent to each and to also, but to also be, and not in a, again, a namby-pamby uh, Pollyanna way, but to be hopeful, to be hopeful that what we are doing here is trying to run a each one of these schools is complex. Each one of these schools is actually a, 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 sometimes we call it, it's a big ship. It's a big complex ship. And so how do you help people understand each other's needs? And then to say, so taking on balance all of these needs, this is the path that I do think we need to go forward. Hmm. And so I think that um, more than ever, I feel as if I'm not sure I have wisdom, but I have um, I have care coming from, and I'm trying to be honest with all the particular needs that happen. Um, and so I think one of the things that we faced in all of this, there's a whole bunch of interesting needs, but early on, I absolutely understood our teachers' concern about coming back. I felt their fear. I felt the trepidation with which they came into this because each one of them as we go back to the very beginning of this who are they and where do they come from they have they have they're not just individuals they are living in a context so trying to balance all of that with the fact that we also are running this this big ship called bss and we have many needs for it and one of the things that I was reading a lot about, and I still, still feel it's really important, is how kids need to be in school. And <sighs> kids need the social connection. They need to learn. They need to be involved in something big, bigger than themselves. And I also think they need the wisdom of their teachers to help guide them through some of the questions as they go into this particular, as, they, as, as we go through this, this interesting time. Um, so balancing all of those um, was the, perhaps the biggest challenge and being upfront about it. And so I just felt that I wanted teachers, parents, as I talked to students, because we ran, I think over the summer, we ran 22 town halls. And I think that was the other really important thing was also about communication. Um, to, to be, and we're still continuing to communicate. Um, and I think that then our staff and our parents, I hope they feel as if, I might not be saying things that they want to hear, but at least they're hearing it from me and they're hearing some of the logic behind why we have made this decision. The why is really important. 
And at several times, it was challenging to explaining the why, um, particularly to our boarding parents who are living in, uh, you know, all over the world from the Caribbean islands to Hong Kong to, and I've been on quite a few Zoom calls with them, helping them understand why we were doing it this particular way. And it was all about on balance. This is how we have, we are taking care of our students and taking care of, of everyone. So it's about taking care. It's about trust. Mm -hmm. It's about being transparent and communicating, communicating, communicating. I think that is also one of the things that I've learned from in this whole time from our wonderful um, public health leaders across the country. I feel that my job has been nothing as to their job in, in coming on and telling us what perhaps we don't want to hear. And yet they have to do it. They do it with care. They do it with the bigger vision in mind. And so they've been, they've been leaders for me <laughs> in mm. doing work, right? I hear you. Yeah, I hear you so clearly talk about the importance of highlighting how we're all interdependent with each other. And I think that transparency, even when it's news that you don't want to hear, when you're understanding the why behind it, there's a lot of, okay, nobody wants to be in a pandemic, but this makes sense. And when you talk about letting each other, each of the little groups know about the needs of the other groups, I think that we remember that we all depend on each other to be well and healthy. I mean, my curiosity, you're taking care of all these different groups of people. How do you take care of yourself right now? Because you're serving, you're in a role where you talk a lot about how you are serving the different needs of different people. Who takes care of Angela in this world? That's a really interesting question. Um, and it's interesting because I'm going to say something that's actually very counter-cultural right now. Um, I know I've read a lot of things about how leaders need to take care of each other. And I know that in meeting with some of the members of the board too, they and that's a really amazing thing. They have asked me, how am I taking care? Um, sometimes the notion of self-care doesn't actually come from you, but it comes from those around you who take care of you. And I think on a very practical level, I am very grateful to have uh, a tremendous partner in life who has been looking after me and like basic things, making meals, we eat together. I think that's also a really important thing. If I keep saying, what do you need to do? Our families need to eat together. Our teachers need to make sure they've got time to eat with their families if they have families or if allowed their friends. That eating together is really, really important. Um, but this brings up something that I've been thinking a lot about because I read a biography of Margaret Thatcher. Mm. <laughs> you know, she is, she is a very interesting leader uh, and, and uh, quite an interesting uh, person. And the person who wrote the biography said that he felt that politicians and other leaders, in order to have balance, needed to have a hinterland. Mm. And his criticism of Thatcher was that she didn't have a hinterland, um, that there was nothing. So in many ways, if you don't have a hinterland, your soul is shuttered. How would you define a hinterland? A hinterland, the, that a hinterland is that other place that you can go away mm. from, and the place is metaphorical, it can be, but the, the place, the, 
the worries that you inhabit, that you can actually leave those and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's really interesting for people and even our teachers, you know, they're leaving to have what is what is your hinterland? Where do you where else can you go? And not having a hinterland is a problem. So for me, the hinterland has been, um, as you know, Celeste, I love to read. And that absolutely now the, the terrible thing is that and and this is shocking for me because I usually read a lot. I have not read very much um, during this time, but I have been reading The New Yorker faithfully. <laughs> and I'm Guardian, I'm reading. I'm reading much more widely in small things, mm-hmm. but in, in usually my hinterland, I would say, would be one thing would be the world of fiction, mm-hmm. and that has always been a bomb for me. Um, the other thing of having a hinterland is also I am fortunate enough to have a family, and I have now. I had a uh, a second grandchild born through the pandemic, and the pan- another pandemic baby. Uh, he's amazing but their worlds are so different than the world that I inhabit and they are elemental and I find being in that elemental world to be a bomb for my mm-hmm. soul a true mm. it's not I'm exaggerating it but it's not it's being in that world it's reading stories to him being present with him taking him to African lion safari uh, you know, it's um, actually walking through the neighborhood and, and saying, today we're going to look for this. And all of those things, that, the, the, that's a hinterland that actually has been a tremendous gift to me. And then I, actually there's this other one. So um, my partner in life is actually a historian. And so one of the, who's doing some really interesting research. And so going into his research world has always been a really interesting place for me and actually to think about then what time are we living in now because he's an early modern historian and so I'm sorry that's a long response <laughs> it's perfect I think that it, it it says so much I think about how self-care doesn't have to be um, a whole routine or something time consuming it's 20 minutes to read a book or 15 minutes of playing on the carpet with a young person, something to get your mind out of your major area of focus so that you come back to it and you're a little bit more refreshed or you've been in a different headspace for a few minutes. Yes. Yeah. The other, the other neat thing that we've done as it, during this time is um, actually we've, we walked and walked the streets as many of us have done through this time. And uh, so what we decided to do was go to places in the city that we didn't know and walk those streets. Mm. That's really been very interesting and to see different neighborhoods. And so um, we've enjoyed doing that. So that's been really, really good. I love that. Those are really good things. And I'm going to take a few of those into my own practice. One of the reasons why I'm so inspired by you as a leader, I think that you just know how to get people through hard times. And again, I don't think that there's any class that you can take on this. I think that, you know, we lead who we are and the person we are as a leader is who we are at heart. And I think that you're just so good at it. But if there was a masterclass that I was going to take with you, what have you learned about leadership? during times of crisis? I 
think one of the things I've learned, and you've heard this again and again, is the importance of listening and the importance of taking time with people to hear their truth, their experience, their understanding. And again, to respect it, to take it as something that you must consider as you go into this, as you, as you make your decisions, as you figure out what can you possibly do to, to help. And you can't help, that's the other thing I've learned is that you can't help everybody in the same way. So you have to take a balance of who needs things the most and how can you actually pull these together? Where are the patterns of, of stresses? Where are the patterns of, um, of things that need to be to be dealt with right away, and what are the what are the easy things to do right away so that people understand that you have listened, and and not just wait for some of those big things. I love that you're looking at patterns. You're such a researcher. Like that's a perfect <laughs> answer for somebody who has a PhD. Yeah, yeah. You really do have to look at patterns and and um, and hear them, and, and hear them, and hear the hear the cries that people have for. And sometimes it's people understanding that you can say to them, I hear you. I'm not sure at this. And even to say truthfully, I'm not sure what I can do about it right now, but I hear you. And I think that matters to people. It, it would have mattered to me. And I do think it, it matters to other people as well. Um, and I heard another really good thing, because sometimes when you're dealing with people, you, you understand their worlds um, need confidentiality. And so, and, and what you sometimes do with the information is about confidentiality as well. And so one of the things that I've learned just recently was about how to say to, to as you're listening to people and say, I can't tell you what I'm gonna do about that, but please know I have heard it and I'm going to do my best. And if this happens to you again, or if you feel that this wasn't dealt with, please come back to me. I think that is a really um, important thing to let people know as you're dealing with some of these issues. Um, it's not easy, Celeste. I, well, it, I, it, I think that, that it needs to be hard because it matters. it matters. And the work that you're doing is really important. And I think that if it were easy, then everyone could do the kind of work that you're doing, but it's, it's complex and it's hard. And I think that's why a lot of people are, you know, asking these questions because we want to get better at it. The other, the other thing I should have said this at the very beginning, because um, I think this is really true. I'm, I'm not operating myself. I, I, I talk about things with, I have a wonderful leadership team at BSS, a thoughtful, people. And one of the things that's really important amongst even that leadership team, and as we went through the summer dealing with issues and trying to problem solve is that we were doing it together. And there was a lot of trust in that group and people willing to say, can I offer an alternative view to this? Can I say, give a contrarian position? And I think being open and listening and working together on these problems has made us stronger. And so I really feel as if it's very, very important that um, those listening to this podcast understand that I, I think I, none of this I have done alone. 
um, I've been the communicator and I absolutely know that people look to me because in many ways, things stop with me and I take that very seriously. But the work that we have done has been a collective and I am glad that there are diverse opinions in mm. our, amongst our team that have made our solutions better as we've worked through things. And I think that speaks to your ability to nurture that in the communities that you're serving. I think that that's not you, like that's not typical in all groups of people to be able to say, can I offer a differing opinion or can I share an alternative perspective here? Like, how do you cultivate that in the circles that you're leading for people to feel safe to tell you something that's not comfortable and that goes against a popular opinion? How do you nurture that in the groups that you're in? Time and questions and uh, and and how you set up conversations so that in many cases, it's really important for me to come to our leadership team or even our staff and say, I don't know how to solve this problem. Um, I do know that these are the parameters that we need to work within, but we need to build this together. And so, mm. uh, and, and then sometimes then you can offer as saying, I have read this and this might be a op op uh, possibility. I've read this and it might be a possibility. But I actually, I would, I would really, if, if I came to our senior leadership team with a problem and I had a fixed solution, I, I think that that would be really problematic. <sighs> that would be a challenge to our, our trust together. So we, I think they trust me that I'm coming to them with honest questions and wanting to, we talk to our teachers about co-constructing, co-constructing all kinds of things. They co-construct assessment criteria, co-construct learning goals. We need to co-construct solutions. And I think we really need to be modeling that from the, from the top down. So it's always a co-construction. Um, and also, I'm a firm believer, I, I am not perfect. Uh, there's many, many things I wish this, this past six, seven, eight months that I could go back and redo. Uh, many, many, many things. Things have come out of my mouth that I think, oh. But I hope that people see me as an imperfect being who in the midst of this, I, I'm trying to do my best. We as a leadership team are trying to do our best and we will, we will make mistakes. But please feel free in the spirit of, of moving forward and trying to get things as right as possible that, that we can correct things and we can go back and say, oops, that didn't work. And there's been several things in the school that we've gone back and said, this isn't a good idea and we need to change this and we need to change this. And so um, I think that's been one of the other really helpful things. One of the things in, in Don't Let a Good Crisis Go to Waste is that we've actually done a lot more polling of our students and teachers than we have ever done. And I think it's been tremendous. And actually our parents too. We've gotten more of a sense of, of the pulse. And then when you ask people for their feedback, that is helping build trust as well. Now, the key thing is that does take a lot of time, as you know, when you work with students and you ask feedback is that you do have to get back to them. And that is actually part of the whole uh, construction of getting feedback that's really, really important. And in some ways we've been imperfect with that, but 
we are doing our best to try to get a sense of how are our students feeling? How are teachers feeling? How are parents feeling in this? And then how can we be modeling and adjusting? And uh, another place where we've gotten a lot of feedback um, are with our boarding students and their parents. Mm. Uh, I, I can't imagine um, during this particular time to put your child on, a, on an airplane and, and send them. So that, that's a really unique trust. And so that's been really, really important for us to be on regular Zoom conversations with our boarding parents and, and making sure that they know we are listening to them and mm -hmm. we are taking in their feedback really, really carefully. So, so all of these things all add up to trying to do your very best for everyone in a crisis. Yeah. yeah, I hear you leading from a place of vulnerability, which I think is what we need. We need a lot of that in this world. Exactly. Um, what other silver linings have you noticed coming out of here? Like you mentioned feedback and how, you know, as a school, we're asking more and getting more feedback from people. But what are some of the other wonderful things that have happened because of this? Oh, well, um, I think that there's there's big there's small things and there's big things. One of the big things that we're discovering is we've had some interesting timetable shifts, and some of them we will not stick with. Um, <sighs> clearly, that's it's a problem, and it's been it's only going to solve things for right now. But there's other things that I think we have learned about our, our timetable. One of the things that we realize is that, um, for example, how many years ago now? four years ago, we went to an eight day cycle at BSS. And we actually thought that that was going to solve some of our problems. But in most cases right now, we've gone back to a five day cycle. And, and I think that there are, there are rhythms to our lives that actually that cycle is probably better. So I think that there's timetabling things we've seen. Um, we used to always say we would never go to a semester system. We're now in a semester system with our senior school. The kids love it, but it's, it's very different for our staff. So how do we help staff find a way through that as well? Or is that is that the way? I mean, I'm not saying this is what we're gonna stick with, but I think that some structural things around how we do school and uh, have been really interesting. We've, we've done, as I said, we've done a lot of communication with parents and now we're going into doing um, uh, virtual conferences and we've done virtual open houses and all that. There's a lot of those. It doesn't replace being in person but in terms of equity, we are learning that this really opens up a lot of conversations with people who would not normally be coming to our school or would not be um, participating in conversations. And I think that there are a lot of things about um, the technology and equity that have actually opened up um, really important spaces for us to think about. I, I think one of the values that we have about at BSS is that our, our, our mission is to build fearless leaders. And that word fearless has been something that we've actually sometimes worried about because it's a big word. Um, and yet we have seen our students really, really, our student leaders have been tremendous. And, and I think that there is a resilience that they're demonstrating through this. Well, okay, we can't do this face to face. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. And they have managed to problem solve incredible things that I think are really valuable. Uh, you know, we didn't think we'd be able to do fundraisers and suddenly they're raising a lot of money for different causes. They're, they're, they're managing to get around things. And I think that problem solving and get stick to itness has been hmm. really, really great. 
So, and I think, but I think there are losses. I wouldn't want to say that there are things that are missing. There are losses that are really hard in students' lives. They are often defined by, and I know this is hard for teachers, but they're defined by things that they do outside the classroom as much as inside. And I think the loss that we've had in, um, for some students in sport, for some students in drama, for some students in, in those things that are in music. Um, we have a lot of students who find that music is their hinterland <laughs> and, uh, and in not being able to do it in, in person has been a huge loss. So I, I think that those are the things that we miss. And I, I do also feel that while there's lots of things that we could do virtually, better there are a lot of things that we know now that are really important to do in person and and that the physicality of actually learning together is vital it's really really mm -hmm. vital thank you yeah uh, we are just coming up to the end of our conversation. And when we are closing off, we always do a ticket out the door with guests on this show, which are just 10 very light and silly questions, which just allow people to get to know you as a person, not just as a leader, and to, you know, get to know a little bit more about the silly side of you or the informal side of you. Are you up for a little rapid fire round, Dr. Terpstra? Why not? Why not? Okay, here we go. What is your favorite book? I know this is a hard one. It's a really hard one because my favorite book would probably be the one I read most recently. Right now, I'm um, the book that I read that is blowing me away is um, Michael Crummy's most recent one. What's the best gift you ever received as an educator? I received when I was teaching in my really, really early days of teaching. I was teaching uh, a class with kids that were that had a lot of a lot of troubles in their lives and i received a gift of a set of drawings that a student had taken while she was in the class and mm. those drawings are really very special to me because they they remind me of that time and they remind me of actually a lot of the mistakes i made as an early teacher but uh, but they're very special I love that. What is your favorite school safe snack? Oh my goodness. Anything salty. I'm a salty, salty snack person. So anything Perfect. salty. Noted. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? The first thing I do, put coffee on. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Read the New Yorker. You might not have time for this these days, but what is the most recent TV show that you've binged? Oh, actually, uh, a show called Stizzle. What would be the last meal that you would have on Earth? It probably would be pasta. Mm, solid. Pie or cake? Pie if it was strawberry rhubarb. Cake if it was carrot cake. Beach or mountains? Oh, but can't you have both? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's why I love Italy. <laughs> Pretty well, you've got both. <laughs> Spring or fall? Spring. Who is your favorite edu celebrity? Oh, I worry about edu celebrities. <laughs> but I do think recently I've gone back to John Dewey. Mm-hmm. 
thought a lot about Dewey and um, I think so much of what we're going through now and what we, we celebrate uh, comes from Dewey. Mm, classic. And finally, what do you think is the future of learning? It is going to be a very interesting world of technology and experiences. I think that there's going to be a lot more um, thinking about the lived experience of something. Um, so not science labs, but being side by side and with uh, somebody doing research and side by side with a writer mm. side by side with side by side with would be amazing those are wonderful world words to end on thank you so much dr terpster for your time it was a real joy to get to talk to you today you're welcome thank you a big thank you to dr angela terpster for taking the time out of her very full schedule to have this conversation if you got something meaningful from this, share it with a friend, reach out to me on Twitter, or comment on the blog. If you have thoughts of other powerful leaders that are affecting meaningful change in education during this pandemic, leave a suggestion in a review on Apple Podcasts. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep practicing hope. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow. <laughs>